It's time, D-Heads. Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand. Every week, Disney Blue lets you relive the magic, the movies, and the memories with celebrity guests, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blue's Disney On Demand is on the air! Now, here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you D-heads, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blue's Disney On Demand, and this week for show number 112. For the week of May 21st, 2015, we're keeping it extra magical, all kinds of fun, as we're going to delve deep into the Disney world of animation, as we have none other than the artist, the writer, the director, the animator, and more, Mike Gabriel stopping in here at the show. That's right, Mike Gabriel, who is a Disney animator and worked on such films as The Great Mouse Detective, The Fox and the Hound, as well as Pocahontas, The Rescuers Down Under, and much more, including his award-winning short, Lorenzo, and his fine art is going to be stopping in here at the show. Mike is going to stop in and talk about a variety of different things, what it's like being a Disney animator, what led him down that path to have animation as his true drive in life, his fine art gallery that's currently going on, Lorenzo, and also, how did he come up with that Walt Disney Pictures logo that we all know today with the newest 3D CGI fireworks-driven logo that we see before every film? And Mike's going to stop in and talk about a variety of different things, and let me tell you, it is going to be fun because this man is not short of any stories within the Disney company, the films, and so much more and how he's touched people's lives through all these animated classics. In addition, no show would be complete without the D-Team, and you have questions and he has answers, and Aaron is going to answer all those questions in I want to know. We also have the latest from the Walt Disney World Resort with WDW and 2 with our very own Caitlin. And let's not forget taking that trip at what happened this week in Disney history with Nathan. We have Paige returning with a magical music review as she's going to review some more Disney magical music for all of your listening ears. And we're going to have Jason going deep into the vault with another Blu-ray and DVD to add to your collection. We have news hot off the D-wire and all kinds of fun. So with all of that said, all VD heads, before I kick off this week's show, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by dvc-rental.com. At dvc-rental.com, you can save up to 60% off your next Walt Disney World vacation just by purchasing unused Vacation Club points from Vacation Club members. And use it on what else? All of those fantastic souvenirs. So definitely check them out, dvc-rental.com, the official sponsors of Diz Radio. So, all of you D-Heads, with that said, it is the week of May 21st, 2015, and coming up this Monday is Memorial Day, so take that time, bow your heads, and remember all of those that have fallen to keep us free here in the United States. So, with that said, let's officially kick off show number 112 for the week of May 21st, 2015, and I'll be right back, all of you D-Heads.
Daughter of a chief. She has her mother's spirit. She goes wherever the wind takes her. Come down here! And she lived a life of freedom. No! Not that way! Watch out! Come on, lads! Steady on your course! He was an explorer, searching for adventure in a new land. Come on, man. We didn't come all this way just to look at it. Let us hope they do not intend to stay. I'm counting on you to make sure those heathens don't disrupt our mission. I... I... I made it myself. But though their worlds were very different... These pale visitors are strange to us. No one is to go near them. Their destinies were one. From Walt Disney Pictures comes the story of an American legend. Who are you? Pocahontas. Come run the hidden pine trails of the forest. Come taste the sun-sweet berries of the earth. Come roll in all the riches all around. Smith? The tree is talking to me. Then you should talk back. He's handsome, too. Oh, I like her. She believed in her dreams. Bokorum has asked to seek your hand in marriage. I think my dream is pointing me down another path. Followed her heart. What are you doing here? I had to see you again. You'll be turning your back on your own people. I can't believe you. And found a love that changed the world. Let the spirits of the earth guide you. I love him, Father. On June 23rd, Disney presents its all-new 33rd full-length animated motion picture. I love you once more. 
with music by Academy Award winner Alan Menken and lyrics by award-winning lyricist Stephen Schwartz. This summer, experience the adventure. Until you can with all the colors of the wind. Pocahontas. Hey, this is Mike Gabriel. I'm a Disney director, animator, production designer, story man, character designer. I've done everything there. I've been there 35 years. Uh, I worked on directed Pocahontas, directed Rescuers Down Under, made a cool short called Lorenzo you might have seen, and uh, production design Wreck-It Ralph, among other things. And I did the corporate logo, too, the, the castle logo with the fireworks and all that. I got to make that. So anyway, I'm so glad to be here at Disney On Demand. People, I guess, can't live like that. We all must pay a price. To be safe, we lose our chance of ever knowing what's around the river bend, waiting just around the river bend. I look once more just around the river bend, beyond the shore, where the gulls fly free. Don't know what for. What I dream the day might send just around the river bend. For me, coming for me. I feel it there beyond those trees or right behind these waterfalls. Can I ignore that sound of distant drumming? For a handsome, sturdy husband who builds handsome, sturdy walls and never dreams that something might be coming. Just around the river bend. Just around the river bend. as the beating drum Should I marry Coco Wong Is all my dreaming Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. You hear that? It's the winds of change. Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. All right, all of you, so I am back, and I hope you enjoyed the official kickoff for show number 112. 
for the week of May 21st, 2015, as we're gearing up for animator, writer, director, and so much more, Mike Gabriel stopping in here at the show. I am excited for this one, especially because you know that nice new nifty fireworks Walt Disney Pictures logo? Yeah, he's the guy behind that as well. I am excited to talk with Mike about so many different things, and it's going to be a fun, fun show. We have the D-Team in the horizon and so much more. So before I get into things here at the show, I do want to mention all the different ways you can stay connected here at Disney On Demand. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio. Com. There you can find our full list of past shows, our complete archives, our latest news blogs, our lifetime of Disney player, and so much more right there on the official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio. Com. You can also connect up with us all over the social media on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can friend us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash John Diz. That's J-O-N-D-I-Z. You can also join our Diz Radio Diz Wire discussion group right there on Facebook as well. Just go to the groups page and search Diz Radio Disney and jump into the discussion there as well. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and so much more. Just search Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, or Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio. And remember, you can find all all these links on our official homepage at DizRadio.com. And remember, you can subscribe to our latest show right there on iTunes and Stitcher Radio and get the latest to your Android, your iPhone, your tablet, and more, and listen to the latest shows as they get released just by subscribing. You can search Disney On Demand, D-I-Z Radio, or Disney Blue, and all three will find their way to us. So all of you D-Heads, with that said, with it out of the way, I'm doing something slightly different here this week. Because I know that Mike has some fantastic stories within the Disney company, I'm going to just scratch news here this week. Yeah, you heard me right. I'm scratching news. News is going to just be kind of scratched off the board. Now, yes, there is Disney news. There's always Disney news on the horizon, and we always have the latest news on our official website at DIZradio.com, also on our Facebook page, and more. So, There is a lot of news on the horizon, but Mike has some fantastic stories and so many different things I want to explore. I just want to pick his brain for as long as I can here at the show. So I am scratching the news. Yes, you heard me right. But before I do that, I want to put a call out to all of you D-heads. We are looking for people to join up here on the D-team. We want you. We want to expand our team here at the show. There's a variety of new segments that we want to have here on the show. We're looking for blog writers and so much more. So if you think you have the Disney touch, you don't have to have experience. Fear not. You don't have to be a professional podcaster. You don't have to be a radio personality. You don't even have to be the best writer. We just want somebody with a passion and true dedication. That's the biggest thing. We want somebody who is dedicated to come week in, week out, and contribute and be part of the D-Team. So if you have what it takes, definitely drop us an email at dizradio at gmail.com. Drop us that line and definitely connect up with us because we want you to join up here at the D-Team. So definitely connect up with us. We're looking for you, and now is the time because we're getting ready for beaches, bonfires, and so much more here at the show as summer is around the corner. So definitely connect up with us. That's D-I-Z-Radio at gmail.com if you want to join up with the D-Team. So all of you D-Heads, with that out of the way, I do want to mention that DizRadio.com is probably sponsored by DVC dashrental.com where you can save up to 60% of your next Walt Disney World vacation just by purchasing unused Vacation Club points from Vacation Club members. And you can do that and spend it on what else? All of those souvenirs. So definitely check them out at dvc-rental.com, the official sponsor of Diz Radio. Yes, 
it is short. This just definitely is the shortest news segment that I think I've ever had in 112 shows. So with that said, I'm going to take a small break, and I'm going to release the reins to the D-Team for a while, and the next time you hear me, yes, it's going to be with Mike Gabriel, animator, writer, director, so many different aspects to his career, fine artist, he's going to be stopping in here at the show. So with that said, I'm excited to have a fun show here this week, all of you D-Heads, take it away team, and I will be back after the team wrangles all of you in.
you have questions, we have answers. Let's dip our hands into the virtual mailbag and uncover the truth in I Want to Know. Hey, D-Heads, this is Aaron, and it's time again for another installment of I Want to Know. As we approach Memorial Day, I'd like to thank all the men and women who have served our country and helped preserve our way of life. Well, the virtual mailbag is full, so let's reach in and see what questions we have for this week. Our first question is from Jim Hines of Utah, and he writes, Aaron of Diz Radio, my question is about the Shaggy DA. I love those films, and the remake was pretty good too. My question is about the song and the opening credits. Who sings it? Is it available anywhere to download? Thank you for the help. Well, I've always loved these movies, especially the original. The Shaggy DA is a sequel to the 1959 movie The Shaggy Dog, about a boy who gets turned into a dog because of an ancient ring which some say is cursed. Today the boy, Wilby Daniels, is a grown man with a family and a lawyer. When they're robbed and Wilby tries to report it to police but only gets the runaround, he decides to run for district attorney. Because he believes that the current DA, John Slade, is not only not doing his job but is on the take. When Daniels publicly denounces Slade, Slade decides to try and get something on him. And he might have found it when the ring that's turned in that's turned him into a dog when he was a boy is stolen from the museum and when the words inside are read he turns into a dog. Well the song you're referring to is called The Shaggy DA and was sung by Dean Jones. It's available to listen to on YouTube. Well our next question is from Heather Dixon of Chicago, Illinois and she writes Disney On Demand D-Team I've been looking into the read-along books for some time of Disneyland Records. Do you know if they ever released a Tron one? Also, is Tron Uprising out on DVD or Blu-ray? Is the second season scheduled to come out? Thank you for the answers to the grid. Keep up the great work on the podcast. Well, I absolutely love Tron and can't wait till the new movie comes out. A Tron read-along book was released and it was narrated by Chuck Riley. The vinyl version and the cassette version are available to buy on eBay. As far as Tron Uprising, on January 14, 2013, producer Edward Kitsis responded to rumors of cancellation by stating, I don't know what the future of Tron Uprising is now. I know at the present, I can say we need more viewers. Well, Disney XD moved the program in the broadcast schedule to Monday mornings at 12 a.m. Eastern until the first season's episodes finished airing on January 28, 2013. After the last episode of the first season aired, no more episodes of Tron Uprising have been produced, but Disney has not confirmed the cancellation of the series. But I think essentially, I would say it's unofficially canceled. The writing was on the wall when they moved it to that time slot. I was really disappointed. It was a great show. Unfortunately, Tron Uprising has never been released on DVD or Blu-ray. It was released on Netflix on May 9, 2013, but was pulled a year later. I really love this show, and as I know a lot of you Tron fans did, and I'm holding out hope that Disney will release the show on DVD and Blu-ray. Well, our final question is from Chad Curran, and he writes, D-Team and I want to know, I have a question about Disney's Magic Kingdom and TV specials. I know they often did specials in the past and did one for the 25th anniversary. 
Did they do any other anniversary specials specifically for Walt Disney World? I'm trying to track them all down because there is nothing like those old specials to really relive the memories, don't you think? Well, I've always loved the TV specials too. They used to be so much better than they are now. Disney World had three anniversary specials before the 25th anniversary. They had Kraft Salutes Walt Disney World's 10th anniversary, 1982, featuring Dean Jones and Michelle Lee. Walt Disney World's 15th anniversary celebration in 1986, featuring Robert Cummings, B. Arthur, and lots of other celebrities. The Dream is Alive 20th anniversary celebration of Walt Disney World in 1991, featuring Michael Eisner and Regis Philbin. And of course, the Walt Disney World's 25th anniversary party in 1997, featuring such actors as Jeff Daniels and Michael J. Fox. Well, D-Heads, that concludes another installment of I Want to Know. Thanks for the great questions and keep them coming. Send all your questions or comments to Aaron, E-R-I-N, at DizRadio.com. Make sure to include your name and city so I can give you credit. And remember, D-Heads, laughter is timeless, imagination has no age, and dreams are forever. We'll see you next week, D-Heads. Our dealings with stressed envelope to Davis and Kurt. Right down that. straight. Let the past be watered through the gate. Just an up-and-coming grassroots candidate, and I'm running for the shaggy DA. Now, you all know we got problems here, and I want to be the one to say, not one of them's just going to disappear come next election day, unless you help me enforce our laws. Kiss those babies and shake those paws. I'm the shaggiest candidate you ever saw, and I'm running for the shaggy DA. I'm a gentleman through and through. There's nothing but myself that's slick or cute. My interests lie with you. I'm the kind of politician that you can trust. Let's sweep out city halls, old dust. If you want clean government, I'm a must. And I'm running for the shaggy DA.
every one of you is going to get his chance at the polls on election day. I'll just leave you with this final word. Concern the knowledge that you've incurred. I'm patting on your boat now. That you've heard, I'm running for the shaggy DA. Hey everybody, it's Bradley Pierce from Beauty and the Beast, and you're listening to Disney On Demand. Just released on video, it's no mystery why kids love the Great Mouse Detective. Everyone has a favorite character. Basil's really smart because he made that formula and we don't even know how. Actually, it's elementary. Ready again was a mean rat. What did you call me? He doesn't like to be called a rat. So call him a mouse, okay? I like the part where uh, Toby's ears turn in the stairs. It's pure family fun. Disney's the Great Mouse Detective. Hi there, it's Caitlin here with WDWN2, a quick rundown of what's happening in the parks. As you all probably know by now, the 24-hour event to kick off the coolest summer ever at Walt Disney World is this Friday through Saturday. Check out the Disney Parks blog for live updates straight from the park. There's also an adorable 24-hour event exclusive t-shirt available at the park and the Disney Store online from the 22nd through the 31st. It features Olaf, the summer season's official mascot deer, and says, imagine how much cooler I'll be in 24 hours, along with the dates of this year's party, and it's in color-changing ink. The Harambe Market at Animal Kingdom is set to open on May 23rd, and it features African-inspired street food. So next time you're at Animal Kingdom, make sure to stop by and try a few different dishes. We've heard the chickpea salad is going to be extra delicious. In Star Wars Weekend news, the Star Wars Force for Change promotion in benefit of the UNICEF Kid Power program has begun. Featured products that are purchased will have 25% of the retail sale price donated to UNICEF. Be on the lookout for a brand new Star Wars The Force Awakens Stormtrooper t-shirt available now and a limited edition Stormtrooper pin available at Darth's Mall June 12th through the 14th. These are the very first Force Awakens merchandise items to hit the shelves. To learn more about the promotion and UNICEF's Kid Power program, check out their website www.starwars.com slash forceforchange. And last but not least, Disney Springs has announced 13 new retail and dining experiences coming with the expansion, a few of which include a Lily Pulitzer, Pandora, Tommy Bahama, Blaze Pizza, and Tea Traders. Thanks for listening, and until next time, don't forget, you can fly. Coming soon to own on video cassette. 
one of the greatest Disney animated classics, is now on video for the first time. Check it out! Join all the fun with the hippest and wildest Disney characters ever. Absolutely positive. Meet the Dodger. One bad puppy. Fagin. Tito. No kidding, man. Georgia. You little bug-eyed creep. Ooh, I think she likes me. And Oliver. A pussycat? Come on, let's see them. It's Oliver and Company. All right. The classic story of Oliver with a Disney twist. Yeah. One minute, I'm in He's the little orphan kitten who goes from down on the streets. Don't worry, kitty. I'll take care of you. Up to a Park Avenue penthouse. Isn't he cute? Do you happen to know out of whose bowl you're eating? Mine! But when little Oliver gets into big trouble... He kidnapped Oliver! Come on, man, let's go! It's up to the Dodger and his friends to save the day. This fall, you and your family are invited to share all the adventure. Take off my back, woman! I'm driving! And all the fun. And sing along with great songs performed by Bette Midler, Huey Lewis, and Billy Joel. So join the gang and add this great classic to your Disney collection, Oliver and Company. Own it on video September 24th. Hey man, if this is torture, chain me to the wall. My friends, we are about to embark on the most odious, the most evil, the most diabolical scheme of my illustrious career. A crime to top all crimes. A crime that will live in infamy. Tomorrow evening, our beloved monarch celebrates her diamond jubilee. And uh, with the enthusiastic help of our good friend, Mr. Flavisham, <laughs> it promises to be a night she will never forget. <laughs> Last night, and my first, as supreme ruler of all Mountain! From the brain that brought you the big Ben Caper, the head that made headlines in every newspaper, and wondrous things like the Tower Bridge job, that cunning display that made Londoners sob. Now comes the real tour de force, tricky and wicked, of course. My earlier crimes were fine for their times, but now that I'm at it again, an even grimmer plot has been simmering in my great criminal brain. Even meaner, you mean it. Worse than the widows and orphans you drowned. You're the best of the worst around. Oh, Radigan! Oh, Radigan! The rest fall behind. To Radigan! To Radigan! The world's greatest criminal lie! Thank you. Thank you. But it hasn't all been champagne and caviar. I've had my share of adversity. Thanks.
thanks to that miserable second-rate detective, Basil of Baker Street. For years, that insufferable pipsqueak has interfered with my plans. I haven't had a moment's peace of mind. (laughs) But all that's in the past. This time, nothing. Not even Basil can stand in my way. All will bow before me. O'Reilly! O'Reilly! Your tops and that's that! Terrigan! Terrigan! The the world's greatest rat! <laughs> what was that? What did you call me? Oh, oh, he didn't mean it, Professor. It was just a slip of the tongue. I am not a rat. Of course you're not. You're a mouse. Yeah, that's right, right. A mouse. (laughs) Yeah, a a big mouse. Silence! (laughs) Oh, my dear Bartholomew, I'm afraid that you have gone and upset me. You know what happens when someone upsets me. My precious, my baby. Did Daddy's little honey bun enjoy her tasty treat? I trust there will be no further interruptions. (laughs) And now, as you were singing... Even louder, we'll shout it! No one can doubt what we know you can do. Siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Required voice identification. EC 82. Hey gang, it's me again, Jason. Welcome back down here to the furry place we call the vault. I am so elated. For those of you who have been following us here on Disney On Demand, kind of get to know us a little personally. And so when Jonathan tells us of different people who are coming into the studios, I get really elated when I hear some of the bigger names coming. But then there's a few that get me a little giddy because of the profession they hold. This week, we have Mike Gabriel upstairs talking to Jonathan about all things Disney animation and the love that I have for it uh, grows exponentially 
people. What I love about it is that we are bringing an animator in. And again, as most of you may know by following us, that I at some point will animate something, be it a short or what have you. Animation has always been a joy and thrill in my life, and that's why you see a lot of reviews done here in the vault being animated classics. So it thrills me to no end that I'm able to bring yet a f another fun classic, but as well discuss animation in a different light. So, in honor of Mr. Gabriel's achievements in Disney animation, I bring you his fourth venture from the company, 1988's Oliver and Company. As Huey Lewis starts it all off, it's Once Upon a Time in New York City. And we meet the cuddly kitten that is Oliver, voiced by the ever-talented and blossom-free Joey Lawrence. He's trying to make the best he can, as a small tabby would do. That is until Dodger, the streetwise pup voiced by the ever-iconic Billy Joel, takes him under his wing and brings him to his master, Fagin, voiced by the comedic genius, Dom DeLuise. Can you tell we've got a star-studded cast here? Dodger wants to show him a little street smarts and how important it is to make it big in New York. Dodger isn't the only one that Fagin has under his care. And I'll use care loosely, because see, Fagin is a little bit of a crook. Okay, maybe not a little bit of a crook, a lot of a crook. And he's working for Sykes, an even worse person than Fagin is. But according to Dodger, the only way to survive is to use your street smarts and your friends. Francis, Rita, Einstein, and Tito. Amongst those voice actors, Roscoe Lee Brown, Shirley Lee Ralph, Ralph Mulligan, and Cheech Marin. Again, top-notch voice acting in this film. Well, Oliver gets his hands, or shall I say paws, a little dirty. And after a few tricks of the trade, Oliver learns that it's not easy being a cat, a dog, or any pet in New York. But on one of his rounds, he meets a wealthy girl named Jenny, voiced by Natalie Gregory. She's, as we will say, the elite or the uptown crowd. Jenny already owns a pet, Georgette, voiced by my idol and love, Bette Midler. Bette Midler, yes, her! But Jenny finds that the companion that Oliver can be is more in her speed than what Georgette a very pampered pooch is, and decides that it's time to adopt Oliver as her own. Well, Fagin and the boys aren't going to take that sitting down, and Fagin takes advantage of where Oliver's living and kidnaps him, only holding him for ransom, knowing that Jenny's parents, wherever they may be, might be able to spare a few loose changes. Okay, a very big ransom, let's, let's just put it that way, in order to retrieve her kitten. It is unfortunate that then Jenny gets kidnapped as well by Sykes, and it is there that we find, to a gruelly demise, that it's friends again that will always lead you back home. And Dodger, Rita, Francis, Einstein, and Tito, along with Georgette, come to their rescue and soon find that it is their complete family that makes this whole. 
Jenny is reunited with Oliver, and the other Streetwise dogs find their way into their heart as well. And maybe Tito has a little bit more to love since Georgette and he have found true love amongst themselves. Well, when this classic came out in 88, and it only being 74 minutes, it was a bit of a change in what was coming to Disney animation. We were gaining more of a rock vibe when it came to the songs in which you will hear throughout the soundtrack. The sounds of Huey Lewis, the Pointer Sisters, of course, Bette Midler singing, as well as a street vibe when it comes to the score. You can't forget Billy Joel, of course, singing the trademark song, Why Should I Worry? But with all of that and its succinct animation, it is still high on my list as one of my favorites. It does hold a personal hold in my heart because it was one of the first animated classics I took one of my cousins to. So I do have a soft spot for Joey, I mean Oliver, and all the friends in New York. We are very fortunate to have two varying versions of this on Blu-ray, depending upon how you would like to have it. You could either get the Anniversary Edition or a bundled pack with the Fox and the Hound. Either way, you're going to get a wonderful Blu-ray of this film. Color-wise and the transfer, it kind of goes up there with the way that Robin Hood was transferred as well as Sword in the Stone. A little scratchy, but still, I'm very happy to have it in Blu-ray on my shelf. This is one of those classics I was afraid was actually going to be forgotten, and I was happy to see that it came out quicker than most. Audio-wise, it could have been a little bit better, but with all of those wonderful songs, you can't go wrong with the way it sounds on your 5.1 mastered audio. What are you going to get when it comes to special features? Well, of course you're going to get them all in standard def, except the sing-along mode, which is in HD. You do get the making of. It's only six minutes, but it is great to know the exact means on how this was made. You get two animated shorts, Lenda Paw, which was an Oscar winner in 1941, and Puss Cafe. Animated Animals, it's a two-minute short on all of the Disney furry friends that we have known and loved, and six minutes of the publicity that it took to produce this film. That includes the theatrical trailer in 88, the 96 re-release back in the day when we would release them every seven to eight years, as well as the promo and TV spots. The fun little tidbit I like to always go back to about this film is that back in those early days, as well as progressing forward into the future that Disney animation has always done, is that they'll always push the envelope one step further. In Oliver and Company, when you're watching Georgette's first scene, when Perfect Isn't Easy is being sung by the ever-wonderful Bette Midler, can you tell she's a friend of mine? Well, I'd like her to be a friend of mine, but you know what I mean. The staircase and the chandelier and all of that was early CG work. The camera angles, which we'll eventually see get progressed into what we know as the Beauty and the Beast ballroom swing, that was started back in 88 with the work on Oliver and Company. So hats off to all of those in Disney Animation who have helped bring this art form forward. 
and the beauty and wonder that it is. So go out, find your means to say thank you, Mike Gabriel, and watch Oliver and Company. You will have a smile on your face, and quite frankly, to me, the songs are still addictive today. Are they a little bit 80s? Of course they are. That's what makes them fun and very, very memorable. So I'm going to file this one away and see you again next time. So until then, gang, remember, the magic of Disney movies is always a wet nose and deep inside of you. You think I'm an ignorant savage And you've been so many places I guess it must be so But still I cannot see If the savage one is me How can there be so much that you don't know? You don't know. You think you own whatever land you land on. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim. But I know every rock and tree and creature Has a life, has a spirit, has a name You think the only people who are people Are the people who look and think like you But if you walk the footsteps of a stranger You'll learn things you never knew, you never knew Have you ever heard the wolf
Lights, camera, action. It's time for this week's Disney On Demand special guest. All right, all of you Disney fans, you tuned in for another magical installment of Disney Blues Disney On Demand. And with us here this week, as we continue to bring you the magic and memories from your lifetime of Disney, many times those are ones that you've seen in the theaters, you've seen them on television, and many other places. And with us here this week is somebody that helped bring that magic alive. You may know him as an animator, a writer, director, and so much more. We have none other than the fine artist, the artist, the animator, uh, director, Mike Gabriel here with us. Welcome to Disney On Demand. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. It is our pleasure having you on. I mean, so many different credits under your belt for animation, the entire industry, something that I truly do love. I love 2D animation, um, you know, kind of pushed me into what I wanted to do with my career until I realized uh, the changing and shifting goals there. But I guess before we start off with that, what led you down the path of animation and ultimately getting involved with the Disney company? Well, I was one of those lucky uh, kids who, even at the age of five or six years old, I absolutely knew what I wanted to do after uh, seeing a Pinocchio screening at a theater in town. And I remember I was in Salina, Kansas, the middle of the country. The furthest, you know, dream was to become a Disney animator. But believe me, at five or six years old, I had it in my head that, man, that's what I want to do. And that's what I'm going to do. And my entire life, it never wavered. It never shifted to anything else. And every family, I have uh, 10 siblings in my family. And every brother and sister will tell you that's all I ever wanted to do and all I tried to get in, you know, uh, to achieve my whole life. So wanted to get in there. Getting in was a different story and certainly a long journey. And I kept mailing letters and trying to, uh, you know, in high school, I would send all my cartoon drawings and I would get this beautiful golden envelope back with a Mickey on it. You know, this great, beautifully drawn Mickey, Walt Disney Studios, just the thrill of getting that envelope was so thrilling. And I'd open it and they'd send me my drawings back and say, nice kid, we don't really want to see Cartoon drawings, we really want to see life drawing, and you should really learn to draw uh, classically first and learn a human and animal anatomy, and, and then when you come in here, we'll teach you how to draw cartoons. So, of course, being you know a teenager and not listening, I would just keep drawing cartoons, send them more cartoon drawings <laughs> three months later, and they would very nicely and politely say, uh, kid, you got to you know go to, go to art classes and keep at it. So after about two years of that, what, somewhere around 18, 19 years old, I um I reached a point of thinking, you know what? I've got to learn to draw better because I'm not getting in. So it didn't matter if I wanted to. I'm not getting in. So I took it upon myself to school myself like you wouldn't believe. I put in six hours a day checking all the uh, art books out of every library, getting all the anatomy books, human anatomy. I mean, Leonardo da Vinci uh, anatomy where the, the human body is dissected, every muscle in the body, every bone. I knew the anterior, interior, learned all that. I just drew, drew, drew six hours a day. And that was my, my goal was I'm going to get good. And whatever it takes to get good enough to get into Disney, it was all about Disney. So I just was going to get in. And uh, about three, four years went by. I even did a book the, uh, called Gabriel's Friends, The Art of Cartooning uh, Animals. And uh, so I was doing, you know, and cards. I got a few cards done and all. But I was, I was going to get into Disney. So I finally uh, contacted him again and said, I think I'm ready to come in and uh, interview. So they they set it up. I went in. I started showing all my drawings. And as they're looking at it, this guy, the, the guy who I interviewed with was named Donald Duckwall. Can you believe it? And uh, <laughs> nice enough guy wore a you know, nice Disney issue uh, 
cardigan sweater, but he started looking at my drawings and he just said, you know, these are drawn from books, not really from life. And he he, he just said, you know, it can't really show drawings from books. And I just thought, are you kidding me? I'm still not getting in this place. And I mean, I had I had worked so hard and my whole family had seen me leave my house, you know, within my little pinto, beat up old Pinto, chugging off to the big city. At the time, we lived in Huntington Beach, California. And it, it just was like my blood drained from my body when he started talking about what you need to do is draw silhouettes and get the action of a figure and try to get the sweep of the action. And, and, and I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm still not in. I am not hired. So I packed up my uh, portfolio, and uh, he, the, the Mr. Duckwall was very nice. I packed up my portfolio, and I said, as I at the door, I just remember stopping at his office, and I said, I'm going to give you what you're looking for. And he said, sure, son. I'm sure you will. No, he was very nice. But that was on a Friday. On Monday, uh, all weekend long, I did exactly what that Mr. Duckwall said to do. I ran around with my brothers playing basketball. I actually ran with them shooting hoops, drawing them as they're, as they're, as I'm running, you know, and as they're shooting the ball and trying to capture the feel, that action that he was looking for. This is what you need for an animator, for a Disney animator. I'd go to the beach and my brothers would throw frisbees. I still have all these drawings and just capturing, trying to get that action in motion, you know, stop that freeze frame of action and feel the the vitality of the motion. So I did all these drawings over the weekend. I mailed them in on Monday. I'd just seen them Friday. I mailed them in on Monday. And I wait and wait and wait. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Now, by Friday, I'm just thinking, gosh darn it. I haven't heard a thing. And, you know, I, I'm not usually a pushy type, but I just thought, I'm going to call. I'm going to call. So I call uh, Ed Hansen's the guy's name that, that took in the portfolio, and I and as soon as he picked up the phone, he goes, "This is Mike Gabriel." I go, "Yeah." He goes, "Oh, Mike, we've been trying to reach you. All the review board, they all loved your drawings. You're in. You're in. You're hired. You're going to be working with Eric Larson, one of the nine old men. You're going to he's going to be training you. So yeah, you get you're in." I was oh, so I was finally <laughs> made it in after all those years. I finally got in. So at that time, I was I think I was 23 years old. Yeah, just just 23, almost 24. Well, you know, and that's the kind of thing where the persistent pays off. And when you really want something, it's not about instant success. It's about working really hard. And it's been so fruitful for you because, you know, you've been part of so many different animated classics that are passed on generation. Many I pass on to even my kids. Fox and the Hound, Great Mouse Detective, Oliver and Company. I mean, so many great ones. And, of course, one that I always feel gets overlooked, The Black Cauldron. Um, you know, I mean, so really great films. Now, out of those early films, are there any that really stuck out to you as the most fun to work on? Well, definitely The Great Mouse Detective, which all of us who worked on it still like to call it Basil of Baker Street because that was the title we had before uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and uh, and Michael Eisner came into the studio and they changed the title to uh, The Great Mouse Detective. But we always liked it, Basil, and we always considered it Basil of Baker Street. So, yeah, that one was the most fun because uh, John Musker was one of my friends. He was one of the directors, and Ron Clements was a friend, and they allowed me to take characters for the first time, the uh, the cat Felicia, the big fat cat of... Uh, and, and Toby the dog, uh, Sherlock Holmes, uh, dog. Um, and I got, so I got to design them, which I love designing characters. I got to design them and I got to lead the animation on them. So, uh, that cat especially, I love, uh, I love the dog. And actually the dog, I, I did one scene of the dog that was one of the highlights of my whole career at Disney. Because Eric Larson, if anybody knows the name of the great, one of the great nine old men, Disney legends, Eric Larson, he, he was my mentor and trained me. And so uh, I just worshipped the ground. He, he walked, you know, he, he did uh, 
uh, Peg from Lady and the Tramp, he's a tramp, that whole bit. He did so many great classic moments of Disney animation. But he knew his dogs. He knew every animal, but he, he had done Peg, and he certainly knew the dogs from Lady and the Tramp. So I did this dog, Toby, and I did one scene where Toby's uh, sniffing around for clues, and he goes under a table, and the tablecloth comes up. He lifts his nose up under the tablecloth, and it reveals his nose only, and he's sniffing, and then he goes rooting around the ground and just, just, just rooting around sniffing. Eric came to my room, knocked on the door, and he never would leave his office, but he came to my room and knocked and said, Mike, I just want you to know that scene I would have been proud to have animated. That's absolutely the level of animation of a Disney animator. And I just wanted to tell you that, Michael. I, just, I was in heaven. That was such a great moment that Eric Larson said my animation was worthy of, you know, being it called Disney animation. So that one was my my highlight. That and the cat Felicia animating a fat blobby cat like that and and the stretch, the squash and stretch of a of a run and you know it takes like four frames and you can do a whole run cycle on a cat. Four frames will tell you all about, you know, the 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 leap and the stretch and the squash and all that stuff and doing the takes, you know, and the the, the way that cat would just do these extreme pop-eyed kind of takes, you know. It was just so fun. I had a ball in that film. Well, you know, and something like that, too, like you said, I mean, you know, uh, The Great Mouse Detective was a fantastic film. And, you know, of course, holding that true to your heart still with one of the nine old men stopping and telling you that it is truly, you know, something that Disney is truly made of. And, of course, you know, beyond just those early animated films, you've also were in charge of directing films with uh, the 1990 classic Rescuers Down Under. And, of course, um, one that everybody loves, Pocahontas as well. What was it like jumping on board and shifting from animation to directing animation? Well. Well, it was a tremendous shift. It's nothing at all like animating. It's it's uh, directing is a whole other ball game, and you take on so much responsibility on every aspect. And people always wonder how do you direct uh, a cartoon or an animated film? And it really is all about directing the story and directing actors. And actors means the voice actor and the animation actor. So directing the the performance. And, and guiding everybody in one direction so that everybody's not making different films. And uh, But judging uh, what, what's the best story direction and the best character ideas and all that, just it's a lot of judgment. And um, so it's just a uh, tremendous task to direct these films. And um, it's, not, it's, it's not something that... Uh, it's not something I, I recommend to the weak-hearted because it, it, it's. <laughs> I admire these these guys that are still doing it. I'm not directing at this point. I'm uh, art directing, but um, the directors just go through so much anguish, and they all, you know, I'm sure I look the same way. But about two years into it, it's like a four-year, five-year process, and about two and a half, three years in, let's say four years in, you got a year to go. Everybody just looks like death. You know, you're just exhausted. You're you're frazzled, you're putting on weight because you're never doing anything but sitting in an editorial room all day long, and and uh, you end up just uh, just completely committed. Your whole life is revolving around that film, and uh, sure enough, the film comes out, and if it's a big success, it's so rewarding, so it's worth the journey, but man, it, it, directing is tough. Every step of the way is tough. It's just the benefit of it, the beauty of it, is working with the great artists that are here. So just giving notes, and then the artist is the one who's going to take it to the next level and, and you know, either take what you've said, you know, your guidance, and, and try to plus it. Let's say uh, Rescuers Down Under, that um, Marahute and Cody sequence where Cody is climbing and he, he falls off the cliff. He's trying to cut 
Marahute, the, the golden eagle free. He falls off the cliff, and then Marahute swoops down and saves him and takes him off into the clouds. That was all boarded by and, and animated by uh, Chris Sanders and Glenn Keane. So I'm working with Chris and you know maybe a couple other people, but those are the main storyboard artists who took that idea and just made it into a spectacular sequence. I think I'm really proud of that section, but proud of them in a way because I honestly just you know got their boards and just said let's animate it the way they boarded it, and then Glenn would animate it incredibly well. So just you know, I, I might say let's have uh, you know let's let's play with the shadow under the bird in this section. So when it, when the shadow like in Peter Pan when they're flying, uh, you can fly when they're flying around Big Ben and their shadow just drops on six levels of clouds and your stomach sinks from under you. I said maybe we have the, some fun with those clouds, uh, shadows on the clouds, things like that. So I'm always trying to find ways to plus it and make it better, but. Um, you know, you can't get any more talented people to be directing than Chris Sanders and Glenn Keane. So that's the great reward of directing is to actually get to uh, play with these guys, you know, and, and toss around ideas and try to plus everything we've got. Definitely. You know, and so many different things, like you said, with directing and, you know, plussing it and making it the, just these classics. You know, many people have grown on to love these. I mean, we spoke with Bruce Broughton, who, uh, you know, had done the score for The Rescuers Down Under. And of course, you know, movies like Pocahontas, people really do, you know, pass this on to generations and love it and, you know, the story of it. Um, does it ever, do you ever just look back and you realize, wow, these films are still affecting people today that I, I was uh, blessed to be, you know, involved with and touch them? Absolutely. It's, it's the greatest reward. It's, it's so touching. And, uh, I, I, Pocahontas is a rare one because there's such depth of feeling to that film that is maybe, uh, unique. Or it gets to a, such a level of, of uh, internal, you know, acting and performance and feeling and the heartbreak and and maybe because we didn't have the lovers end up together that 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 adds a level of of sort of deep uh, rooted sort of investment in the characters as the story unfolds and there's something about that film that just meant so much to to people and and also the art direction is so stunning the music is so great and it just sweeps you up into that world um and and a pretty impressive way i guess and um you know we actually have a death of a character that gets shot and uh so um the the probably the most striking moment was when i went back i went back to shoot something at uh, jamestown the the recreated jamestown back in virginia we had gone back there to do research and uh before Pocahontas was made, just three years out even. And so our team would go out. I went out about two or three times. I actually went to the grave of Powhatan, uh, Pocahontas' actual chief, you know, the father of, pa of Pocahontas. They have a burial mound, which is just a beautiful mound on, uh, on the side of the James River. I actually went to that mound, and I was all alone at the time. I don't remember how that happened, but I was all alone. I just said a silent prayer to him that I hope I honor his daughter and do do well by her, you know, and that he'll be happy with the film we make and all that. So kind of a little silent prayer to, to actual Pocahontas' actual father, Chief Powhatan. Um, but while back there, we went to the Jamestown Recreated Village. And at the time, nobody, it, it, it was hardly, you know, anybody there at all. It was just kind of deserted and sort of empty. And we went on the, they actually have the ships there. Really cool recreation of the Susan Constant and the ships that they sailed over on. And so we got to feel and experience, you know, at least the scale of things, the feel of the fort and the town and all that stuff. Um, but when, when I went back about four years ago for a, uh, for a film shoot on uh, Don Hahn, the, one of the great producers here, was doing a live-action uh, shoot of some kind. So I was playing myself as a guy being interviewed and walking along Jamestown Fort. They're called uh, uh, 
uh, what is it called? History, history connections. It's called. Um, the DVDs are still out there. But um, so I'm, I'm, I went to the fort again, and I haven't been there since. And I'm telling you, it was jam. People were swarming around that. It was so popular now, and you know, because of our film, everyone, you know, the name Pocahontas meant more to people, and they wanted to go experience some of the real Pocahontas sets. And I'm sure they were surprised to find, wow, this is just like the cartoon because we really did follow it. Um, but to, at that, when I'm in between shots, when I'm you know uh, doing this short film among the the tourists and but people would gather around and then the, this one mother in particular came up to me and just said, and she had been standing around for quite a while, but she came up to me and she said, and I just want to tell you, and she was so sincere and so genuine, just said, I just want to tell you how much your film meant to me as a mother. I was in the theater with my little daughter at the time. She was about six or seven. And we saw that film together, and what we experienced together in that film has never left us. And we, we, it was a bonding thing for me and my daughter, and we, we carry it with us our whole life. Just, you know, we always remember that moment of watching Pocahontas, and it's just a, it just meant so, and she started to sob, really. She started to cry and sob, and she just thanked me for giving her that beautiful uh, uh, experience with her daughter. And she apologized for tearing up and crying. And she was such a, she's just a beautiful, normal, you know, just, there, it was just, it just was to me, you know, because I lived it and breathed it and just grew up, you know, Pocahontas was just part of my work and part of my, I committed all the way to it. But to see somebody that it affected this much, and, and I know she represented so many people out there, it, it gave me a, a sense of, uh, a sense of history. You know, what we do here is a historical thing, really, because these films do go into time. And, and it it connects at that moment in a mother and let's say a parent-child uh, dynamic of an, the age of the parent, the age of the child. They go to a Disney feature like Pocahontas. They experience something, and it goes with them their entire life. It carries forward their entire life. That that moment of parent-child when the child is young and caught up in the magic of a, and and the and, and the mystery of the world and and you know the 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 depth of love and beauty and sacrifice and these things we put forth in our films that it really sears into them a wonderful experience that when we do it right you know sometimes we don't sometimes we do but um that that moment really touched me and I've never forgotten it at, at, at Jamestown and I was so happy to see the fort you know revived in such a beautiful way well like you said too it's something that it really it means something to many people and you're opening up their eyes to many different things in a new way like you said you brought that awareness of Pocahontas now of course you know in in your career you've worked on so many different things and of course I myself have a true passionate love of 2D animation I wanted to be an animator at one point and then uh, uh, sophomore year of college realized oh they're changing it all to CGI but that's going to lead me to, you know, at the time, you know, films like Home on the Range, which was the, supposedly the last of the Disney 2D animation genre. And of course, you know, reviving that with Princess of the Frog. Um, you know, I guess what was it like when you saw that shift from 2D to everything being CGI? Because I still think 2D is a viable animation source that still really has something that it, it has the feeling and the passion of the animator so much more than a CGI. Yeah, well, one thing for sure, it has a uh, more distinct uh, art artistic um, flavor per scene. You know, each each animator has their own style of movement and and uh, drawing that that does infuse anim 2D animation. I think with a with a more distinct uh, correlation with the artist, you know, creating it and performing it. So a Glenn Keane 2D scene, you know, is so 
distinct and identifiable it, in CG because you're all working with the same rig and the same shapes, face shapes and and sliders and everything. It, it tends to uh, unify almost to a to a fault, I think. Um, any of the uh, distinct artistic flavors that each artist brings to it. Now, if you really are into it, you'll pay attention to to different timing and the, the cleverness of certain movements that you just go, that's got to be, you know, this guy or that guy in CG. Um, so it still can be there, but you got to look really closely. And uh, with with 2D, yeah, I, I loved watching. I'd, I'd get to go to dailies. There's nothing better than as a 2D animator at Disney, and we'd go to dailies every once a week and just watch what each animator had turned in that week and just watch those rough drawings before they're cleaned up. And it was just a blast. I mean, we just loved it, and they'd get, get laughs at the, at the highlights. And, and that's what I get to do for a living. I would say 2D animator, I don't want to make you upset or anything here, Jonathan, but it was the funnest job in the world was being a 2D animator. It was the funnest thing I've ever done here. Directing is rewarding. I wouldn't say it's fun. It's just it's rewarding as hell, and you you're creating something that is your vision and more of your your sense of entertainment. So certainly a wonderful job, but sheer fun of just going into work and starting to flip those pages and push those extremes and and you know it's just a and working with so many fun people you know I'm working with John Lasseter with Tim Burton and you know Musker and uh, all these great talented guys Mike Giamo you know Chris Buck all, all now they're all directors and uh, running the world but um, at the time just all of us young guys sitting there going in every day and uh, drawing animating trying to make a great film and going out and playing volleyball at break and then after hours, you know, going out to play baseball. And we had, we called our Disney team the Disney Slugs. And we'd go out and uh, just just roughhouse baseball on some diamond and go out for pizza afterwards. And just, you know, it was just such a fun, fun uh, life at that point. And the second funnest thing I ever did and I've done many things. I actually got to do the logo to the Disney Studio, the whole castle logo thing with the fireworks. That's all my my concept. Even I got I boarded that thing in about an hour and just you know did the star in the sky come down to the castle fireworks, the uh, the ships in the river and sort of that Mary Poppins esque kind of uh, set. You know, very much a Peter Ellenshaw kind of a feel. And then come down to the castle and then fireworks and come back. Disney Studio. So I boarded it in about an hour, and it was it was very fun, very rewarding, and I got to. Uh, it was pretty much my call through the whole thing. Very, you got notes, but nothing nothing that threw me at all. And it was a terrific fun thing to do. But um, the funnest thing I've ever done was doing a short. I've only done one short in my whole life. It's called Lorenzo, and it was on a film called Raising Helen. And uh, it, it got nominated for many awards. It got nominated for an Academy Award. It won uh, awards around the world, international awards and art design awards. And I'm just, that was probably the only thing that I'd say might have been even, because I did actually do some of the 2D animation in it too. Um, but the good news, it was 10 years ago when I did Lorenzo, and it's finally coming out on DVD this year uh, in August. I think it's going to be out, so it's exciting. Like you said, you know, you've had so many great things, and Lorenzo, of course, was fantastic. I remember seeing that actually in theaters way back when, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, before, because I believe, like you said, it was before Raising Helen, correct? And I think that was a, a Kate Hudson movie. Uh, so, you know, I remember seeing that in theaters as well and so many different things. And like you said, uh, of course, you know, that's that little prod of wishing I would have followed through with the 2D animation career. Uh, oh, how you know, was it like to your... watch that? Yeah, yeah, I know. You know, but I well, guess yeah, like if you would have, you would have gone and yeah, you would have be out. You'd already be obsolete by now. Yeah. 
Right. Well, and that brings me to, you know, kind of back to the question, too, which was, you know, what was it like seeing that shift to 2D to CGI? And, you know, that's changed the company so much. And it's a devastating blow. And that's your that's your life. That's your career. And they're saying, sorry, um, it's gone now. Well, one aspect of it is Joe Grant, who was uh, one of Walt's right hand men. He was the head of the character model department all through the 30s, 40s. He, he, his dog was Lady from Lady in the Tramp. He wrote that story, and he, he actually pretty much made Dumbo with uh, his partner Dick Humor. So Joe Grant was like in his 90s when uh, when he's he's looking at what we're. And I worked with him when he was about 83 till he was 96. I got to really work with him at the studio, and he was full time driving himself in and everything. Incredible. So um, Joe knows Walt Disney. He spent his his whole career, you know, at Disney. One gap in the in the middle, he certainly wasn't there, but. Through 1933 to 1950, he was with Walt every day, and they'd you know they'd sit around, have a little aperitif in the afternoons and everything. And he he was definitely Walt's right hand man, and uh, he said Walt would have definitely gone CG. He wouldn't have looked twice at leaving 2D behind, which always made us a little heartsick. Kind of like really, you know, are you sure? <laughs> and Joe just said, oh man, he was always into the high, the future technological advances and he would be pushing it. He'd, be, he'd have been the first guy doing CG. He would have been like John Lasseter. I mean, Lasseter jumped on that thing like, you know, white on rice and he wanted, he never let go. He just loved CG. John saw it from the very beginning more than anybody else and he went there and uh, along with Ed Catmull who, you know, certainly started, invented the whole thing practically. Um, so anyway, with Joe saying Walt would have done it, been there, done it, gone all the way, CG, uh, and us sort of going, yeah, but we love 2D. There's nothing like you, you know. There's nothing we love more than seeing beautiful 2D animation. But Joe just kind of was, of course, Joe's in the story story department and character department. It doesn't make any difference how you execute the story and the character, you know, action. Whether it's CG or 2D, it's still performance, and it's a story, and it's an entertainment. So to him, it didn't make that much difference. But that being said, it was absolutely devastating to all of us who were 2D aficionados, and not just 2D uh, aficionados, the Disney lovers. We loved the 2D stuff, and it broke our hearts. It was devastating. And and at a certain point, the studio held on as long as they could to a lot of us and, and tried to keep us from being laid off or whatever. They tried to fit us into different uh, other roles at the studio as it all shifted into 2D. But Believe me, that was the that that day had come, and they started laying people off by the hundreds, and everybody was walking into the office and getting the word whether you're here or you're gone, you're getting laid off. And I mean, these are people who have given their heart and their soul to the company and made beautiful, you know, created these huge classics: Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King, Pocahontas, Rescuers Down Under, and now they're being let go. And uh, at, at a certain middle age, you know, in your 30s or 40s, and you're not done yet, and you, you, you've got to figure out a new way to make a living. And it honestly felt like a uh, mausoleum, and we all felt it. We all said it. It felt like we were walking in the morning. If you're one of the few left in the left standing, it just felt. I honestly felt like there were like coffins in the corners or something. It felt so sad and so solemn and so gloomy. This was all before Lassiter and Catmull came in and sort of were the white knights on the horses that that strode in. Uh, thank God, Robert Iger had the uh, 
the Prussians to, to bring them in and lead us because we needed strong leadership like that to revive us and, and to have faith in us again because we had made a number of films that were not successful. So we needed a hit to prove we're worth, you know, financially worth investing in still, let alone, you know, 2D or CG. It doesn't matter. you got to make some money for the company. or you're not, We're not a charity organization here. So uh, they came in and revived us in a, in a big way. And just the, because John Lasseter and Ed Catmull, you know, Ed Catmull was like you. He, he wanted to animate, too, as a, as a kid. That was his dream, to be a Disney animator just like you. And he found he couldn't achieve that level of draftsmanship and, and the skill it took. And he, so he, he ended up inventing CG. He actually invented a way that he could become a Disney uh, a god, you know, by, by um, inventing the CG process. So... Uh, Talk about a cool history of how you how you uh, how you uh, kiss the sleeping beauty, kiss the sleeping Snow White, and she comes back to life in a new form, a CG form. And he he did it, man. He planted a big wet one on uh, Snow White laying there in the coffin. So uh, thank God for uh, John Lasseter and Ed Catmull uh, saving us. So it did come back full fury, and right now after the hits we've had and watching and and it took John and Ed a very methodical way of building us into a new being a new a new studio with a whole they got rid of the first thing John and Ed did was get rid of about 50 vice presidents of development and animation and he turned all their vice president offices into story rooms we completely reshaped gutted all the uh, all the VPs uh, offices and uh, took down a couple walls and made them all into these big story rooms. Because to, to John and Ed, it's all about the directors and the stories, and that's what they focus on. That's what we all, you know, strive to uh, make great stories out of it. So, at, but still, we're working on, you know, incrementally getting stronger on each film. And um, and uh, by the time we got to Tangled, then Wreck It Ralph, and and just building on Frozen. I mean, just like to to then Frozen goes so large and so huge that it becomes the highest grossing animated film of all time and the songs are just caught like wildfire. It, mean, it means so much to all of us that, that work on these films. I, uh, I did a little bit of visual development work on Frozen. I didn't do much on it, but um, just to be at the studio, we all own all these films. Believe me, it's one studio and we, every film is our little baby. We all, we all really take great ownership of each film and um, it was just so unbelievable when those YouTube started popping up of people singing the songs and proposing and <laughs> with the songs and 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 every these little kids doing little their own version of the movie with the songs and it, it just became like this wildfire of excitement over this movie and it still hasn't died down. This this means a tremendous amount to us, those of us especially who were here when we were dead on arrival. We were we were going nowhere fast and we were at an end of the road we had we'd committed to our our life and my, from 5 years old I wanted to work at Disney Studio and I've been committed my whole life to be at the studio and to to make sure we carry the torch for Walt Disney I, I always think of Walt Disney and I think of him wanting you know wanting it to continue and everything he put into this company his blood sweat and tears he wants that to continue and good old Joe Grant tried to keep it going and and all these guys that have put in 40 years, you know, trying to keep it going and not, and now to see it dying out, well, we've got to keep, we've got to light that torch. So to know we lit that torch again, full fury and lifted it high and marching onward up the hill, um, leading a whole, you know, the whole planet really enjoying and getting a great, getting that, like the mother at Jamestown, that mother and daughter, we're giving those moments again. And it's a great rewarding feeling, you know, just to, 
to to see it come back and and better than ever. So I'm sort of going through my second golden era, you know, at the studio. And believe me, the second <laughs> time is sweeter. You appreciate it so much more when you've seen the bottom, you know. When you now you because you've been so low, you now know how high you actually are. Definitely, you know, and like you said, there's so many different things that are uh, you know, have been through the company and Frozen being so big and the highs and the lows and whatnot. And I guess before we move on to the next phases of other things you're working on as well, of course, you know, it, like you said, you worked on the one thing that you were able to help with is that new Walt Disney Pictures Studio logo. And, you know, that right there is something that is magical in itself because every time it comes on, my kids, first thing they say is, Disney World, I want to go there. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny because I actually, yeah, I like that castle the best. You know, their, their Sleeping Beauty castle is, or is it Cinderella Castle. Cinderella Castle in Walt Disney World is actually what I think is about the prettiest one. Um, I mean, Paris has a really pretty one, but I, I sort of did a hybrid combination of different castles, but Walt, Walt Disney World was the most influential for sure, so that's funny. I wasn't trying to promote the park, but... Now, with that, too, like you said, so many different things. You're not just an animator for Disney. Hey, to interrupt you, Jonathan. I keep forgetting to mention this to people, and I, I just loved Roy Disney. Roy Disney, uh, Roy E. Disney was Roy, the, the Walt's brother, Roy O. Disney, founded the company together, the Disney Brothers. So Roy O.'s son, Roy E. Disney, was our Disney that that was here leading our uh, first golden era through the 90s. And uh, I got to work with him very closely. He produced uh, uh, Lorenzo, and uh, he, I, I just was blessed to have really gotten to know Roy well. And, um, and he passed away just a few years ago. But while he was still alive, I was doing this logo, and uh, Roy had a yacht called Piwacket that he raced, uh, the Transpac, or races around the world, but he especially loved the Transpac, where he would leave, uh, I think it was Newport Beach, and then he'd race to Hawaii. And he would win it every once in a while. It was really the, a great love of his was this uh, yacht race. So uh, his his favorite boat that he raced the most was Piwacket. He's had different versions since. But um, I got the blueprint, the producer Baker Bloodworth and I got the blueprints of Piwacket and actually built exact specs to his his yacht racing yacht Piwacket and we put it behind the castle on the logo so it's on the river is a yacht a silhouette of a triple masted little it, it, there are no sails up so you'll barely see it but it's behind the castle everybody that hears this should look for, at the logo next time and when you see you'll come down from the star you'll see that first river not there because you'll see that big sails on that sort of the, the, the pirate ship kind of looking thing it's not that ship you come down to the castle and once you get to the castle there's actually a different river snaking behind the castle it's back there you'll barely see this dark silhouette of a sh of a racing yacht that's Piwacket because I always want Roy Disney to have our back, you know, forever, infinitum. Roy Disney's got the studios back, so that's why I put it there. And I, I just think it's I, everyone that sees it should think of Roy Disney because he saved that department. He saved Disney Animation for for uh, at least two rounds, you know, at the beginning uh, in, in the in the uh, early, uh, let's say the mid '80s. He came in and saved the, and, and replaced, you know, uh, the former regime with. Uh, Frank Wells and Mike Eisner and Katzenberg, and then he replaced them eventually. He had to with uh, Bob Iger and, and John Lasseter, Ed Catmull. So he really saved us uh, twice. And, and he, talk about a noble, uh, a, a, a noble uh, career. Uh, I love Roy to death. So I just want everybody to think of Roy Disney when they come down and see that little that little silhouette ship back in the distance. <laughs> 
Definitely. You know, and Roy was, I, I've had the pleasure of meeting him just one time. Um, and I actually had him sign a napkin for me. So that always worked out. And uh, it, it was one of those things that, you know, I always did uh, love what he fought for. In fact, um, you may remember, well, I'm sure you remember way back when I actually have a bumper sticker that had the SaveDisney.com on it uh, way back when, when he ran that campaign. So Incredible. I have the shirt. I put money into it too, or whatever I did, but I got the, the blue shirt too. Yeah, I still got that. I love that. That was so incredibly gutsy to do that, and it actually worked, you know. He 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 just was masterfully brilliant on that technical ways of achieving what he needed to get done. That's cool. Definitely. Now, I guess, you know, moving forward, too, beyond just animation and Disney, you know, you also do a lot of great fine art, and you also have, you know, an art show coming up as well at the Center Stage Gallery that you're going to be doing. And uh, I guess I'll let you, exp you know, talk a little bit more about that, but the Fearless Art of Mike Gabriel is coming. Um, it's already on presentation. I guess, what is it like doing something completely different, fine art, everybody coming and enjoying it, and what's your inspiration for doing those pieces? Well, I... I Actually, Lorenzo, about, like I say, 10 years ago, I started without even really knowing what my style was. I, I just started to paint the way I wanted to paint. And so I, I was doing, uh, I was the only guy on this film, this little idea that was going to possibly be a Fantasia piece. Uh, going to be a tango world music fantasia that we didn't get finished all the way so it never came to be don Hahn was and roy disney were trying to get this made but it never really came out as a third fantasia but we did have pieces made and different shorts were made so that's how lorenzo got made but by doing that i was given the opportunity to just take a tango and take uh, joe grant had this idea of a cat whose tail comes to life so how do i uh design that i was the director art designer on it and story man i boarded the whole thing so i just had freedom to do whatever i want with it well for the first time at disney complete freedom to do whatever i wanted with something i came up i just had this style of on black it's a tango so i'm going to have a dance at night so i just used black and i put bright colors on top of it like the uh, buenos aires where the tango was invented pretty much um i just put these bright colors uh, uh buenos aires has all these bright vivid colors of houses and everything that they all use so it's a, a, a real dynamic saturated hue kind of a world so I started using those for uh, Lorenzo so the bright blue cat with the bright red buildings and vivid green doors and so poppy bright saturated colors against this black is what what I started doing for Lorenzo so I, I didn't at the time realize I was actually creating my personal style and this is this is a a, a, a style of painting which is a very bold uh, with bright colors against black was is kind of my look after Lorenzo. It, the, the, I got a, a few um, design awards on it and uh, from South America, um, and so I I've sort of found my look then, and so didn't really do much with it until in the story department at Disney, one of the guys came up with an idea of what we call a micro gallery, and he said, let's just all do two inch paintings. And we're going to put them in frames, and we're going to ha put them in a little gallery setting. We even put wood floor in on one little cubicle, and we made it, we put up a curtain and called it our gallery. And we all hung, everyone in the story department did a two-inch painting. It had to be, because, you know, we're all working on Photoshop, so we forced ourselves to use paint again. And it's a two-inch by two-inch, so, who you know, it's not intimidating. It's not going to scare anybody away from doing some piece of art. And so we did, all of us did a little two-inch painting. We hung it up, and on Friday we had drinks, and we all get put in 20 bucks 
to raise, we're raising money for some charity of some sort, but we put in 20 bucks and we get a, a little raffle ticket. And then each of us now, we've got about 30 of us who've got 30 little framed pictures hanging on a wall behind a curtain, and we each get to draw, the, somebody draws the, uh, the hat, put all the tickets in the hat. Someone draws the ticket and reads out the number. If it's your number of your ticket, you get to be the first one to go in and pick whichever one you want because you put in 20 bucks. You're basically getting a, a little original piece of art for 20 bucks. Well, it became so fun to do these little two-inch paintings. We'd do them every Friday for a while. And people loved the ones I were doing. I was really encouraged and kind of shocked because, fr frankly, you know, I'm one of the old guys around here. And in, in my 50s, all these hot-shot 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds that are really, really, you know, impressive, talented, cool guys and girls, they're, they're just loving my paintings. And I just felt good, you know. It just felt like, wow, my own little creation, whatever I'm painting. And there were, you know, different things. But that made me feel like I'm painting something that actually – these young people are kind of excited about, and it felt felt really good, just ego-wise, if nothing else. So that was going on, and then on uh, at Christmas time, we would have a Disney art fair where all the artists in the art department here could could put out, like, would set up in the coffee area. We'd just set up tables, and they would sell their original art. So they would get down there, and whether it was Lorelai Beauvais and Brittany Lee and various artists would uh, put out their artwork and sell it, original art. And I was, I'd be up on the third floor looking down at the tables, and, man, they are moving product. I mean, people are loving those paintings. And I just thought, you know, I want to see if I can sell paintings like that. I wonder if people would actually like my painting. So the next, by next Christmas, I had a bunch of originals painted and set up the bins with my wife on the table and just to see if that would, they would sell crowds. I mean, had lines. People were so excited to get original art. It's a rare thing these days to get original art. And so I was so having fun doing my own paintings, my own Lorenzo style with these fat brushes, just loose strokes of cartoon characters, cartoon animals, or, or whatever, and uh, painting just on my weekends, whatever I felt like painting, and, and had a ball and then actually, you know, sold like $10,000 worth of product in about two, three hours. So it was just a fantastically successful thing. And that same Christmas, I ran into Tina Price, who owns uh, the Center Stage Gallery, and she runs the CTN uh, website and CTNX, the expo. So I've known her. I worked at Disney with her for a long time, so I knew her well. And I ran into her at Bill and Sue Croyer's Christmas party. And she said, out of the blue, I don't even know what she saw. Well, she's always liked my artwork, but she just said, Mike, I'd like you to do a one-man show in my gallery. And believe me, I've never thought of doing that in my life, and uh, I, I never thought anybody would really be interested. Or uh, I'm a Disney animation guy, and and so uh, I thought I thought about it, and I just said I'm going to do it. And it became my year of saying yes to everything. It was like whatever offer that came up, I said yes to. So I ended up going to different things around the world. For anybody that asked me anything, I'd go yes. I told my wife this is my year of saying yes because I'm going to see what happens if I just say yes to everything. So I said yes to the gallery thing, which meant, uh, okay, big shot. Now you got to actually produce about 100 pieces of artwork. Um, so I, I spent the whole year, uh, it took me about a year and two months to, uh, to, to get ready for it. And every weekend, my family will tell you, I was in that studio painting away and just only what I felt like painting. I like painting dogs. I like painting cats. I like the Lorenzo cat or the, you know, but I can't do Disney characters. These are all my, my own creations. So, um, I just, I just painted what I felt like painting and put them in frames and, uh, 
open the gallery up. So it's uh, the opening was uh, about a month ago, and it was unbelievably fun and rewarding. It was like a Disney old home week. All the Disney animators were there, and you know Disney directors, and a lot of people I knew in the industry came. And it was they said the biggest opening they've ever had. And Tina Price was so thrilled with the opening. And she was just always giving me these big thumbs up and the biggest smile you ever saw. It couldn't have gone better. The the opening through the roof, successful, sold about 25 originals and. Um, it's just been a huge, gratifying success. So this, uh, the, the second phase of this uh, gallery exhibit is the book, which um, we, we put together. Um, and it's called The Fearless Art of Mike Gabriel because it's, as we went to different artists, people I really admire in the industry and fellow workers, and we just had them write up a little thing about me and what's my style, what, what makes Mike Gabriel's art you know, distinct or what, what's unique about it. And I just wrote down all the words that kept coming up. It was like bold, fearless, you know, vivid, bright colors or whatever. But the word that kept coming up more than anything else was fearless, that my, my artwork is fearless. And I loved that. I thought that was such a cool way of putting it. Um, and I thought it was a unique thing of what does that mean, fearless? It just means you're not afraid of throwing the stroke down really direct, bold, and, and strong. And let it be whatever it's going to be. And it, and it let the paint stroke kind of be evident. Let it, let it look like a paint stroke, but also look like what it's supposed to be, the cat or the the uh you know the spoonbill you know platypus or whatever it is you know uh let it just be what it's going to be so um I, I i have very cartoonish art it's i i love that you could call it fine art because i do think of cartoons as fine art i think cartoons are actually extremely powerful art because they're they break things down to a simple essence and they're very pure in design it's somewhat like you know pop art or andy warhol or Koenig or guys like that, where you just boldly plant it, you know, and you just say, this is valid, and it's so simple and direct that there's there's uh, power in that. So coming into the gallery to look at my artwork, it's going to be very simple, bold, and fearless, direct work that, that just states things as simply as I possibly can. It's what I learned on Lorenzo. Whatever I'm going to say, and, I, and if you look at the backgrounds, I painted every background in Lorenzo, too. But in every background, I kept eliminating everything I could and still make it read as what it's supposed to be. So I would just drop everything out except what was essential to make it read. So it's very minimalist in a way, and, and I, I, almost like Sumi painting concept-wise. Um, so that's what you, if you come into the show, you're going to see uh, just real clean, direct, bold, and, and absolute work, you know, it's... And, I like to I like to think it's fearless. Um, I'm a little I, I am actually afraid looking at a blank canvas sometimes, but um, uh, as soon as the paint as soon as that brush hits the paper, I'm not I'm not I'm not liking anything that shows any timidity. I will start over again a hundred times if it takes until I get a real strong bold statement that I just feel is so confident. You know, it's so strong, and that's what I'm after. One of the funnest things was walking into the gallery when, on opening night, and all the lights are on all the paintings, and so many vivid, bright colors, and it just evoked such a happiness, you know, and such a, a buoyant, you know, positive feel to it. I felt like, I felt so good, just, just the feel of it. That's what I was going for, you know. Well, you know, and something like that, like you said, um, you know, of course, cartoons, I, I consider it fine art. Anything that's painted on the canvas, it's simplicity, and of course, the bold colors, I myself am a fan of highly saturated, bold colors, bright, vibrant, just uh, there's something about it that, that lasts longer. It's something that also makes you smile. I feel that, you know, using bold colors and in, in heavy saturations, it brings more of a smile to your face than something that's kind of dab and dreary that might be artistically great, 
but it doesn't give you that that inside uh, happiness, I like to say. Now, with this gallery, like you said, it did open on April 17th, and you have the book launching event that's coming. Uh, that's coming up on May 17th, and the entire gallery is closing on May 31st. And, you know, with this first gallery and it being such a huge success that is taking place, like I said, at Center Stage Gallery, uh, do you foresee uh, some more uh, galleries in your future? Uh, I definitely do. I'm, I've, I, like I say, in the past, I would turn down, I have actually turned down a gallery exhibit in Paris once um, just because it didn't feel right and I had sort of hadn't done it and I was feeling, I just didn't feel great about it. Like, I didn't feel like I, I, I really wanted to engage yet, but now I'm engaged. So I'm, uh, I feel like this is stage one and, and I'm on the first rung of the ladder and I'm, I'm planning on doing a lot more painting and, I, I'm finding, you know, uh, I'm finding my way, and and the large scale. There's a, there's about six really big ones, 30 by 40 inch, large scale cartoon canvases, and I, I to me, I feel like I'm onto something special by uh, by going large scale with really bold, simple cartoon characterization. So I'm 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 curious to know where I'm going to go next with my stroking and how much nuance or how much to put into it, but um. Uh, I'm all about bigger, wider brushes and and uh, sloppier, um, more more paint splattered studios are in my future. I think so. Yeah, I think I've just begun. Awesome. Now, I guess with uh, the books, uh, with the book event and whatnot as well. Now, is this something that people are going to be able to get possibly after the gallery? If there are listeners listening in that can't make it out to the actual gallery? Yeah, I'm I'm sure they will be able to off of the Center Stage Gallery website. So I would go to centerstagegallery.com. Um, one word. And, and they'll be able to get a copy, and, and they can even book it uh, in advance. So they, they could go on right now, uh, even the show's on Sunday, but um, uh, the 17th. So uh, they can they can go online and put in an order and get it, I'm sure. I'm not sure after that where it goes. If uh, I haven't really found out where it ends up after that. Um, I think it'll all be sold out by then, I'm hoping. Well, you know, we, so many different things from your career, you know, animation, film, art gallery, so much more, I guess. Uh, before we let you go, because we know you're a busy guy here, I guess uh, for all of your fans out there and fans of your work or, you know, people that have just, you know, they may have not known the name behind it, but now have realized that you've touched their lives personally. Is there any final lasting words you'd like to leave out there for all your fans that are listening in, whether that's of your artwork, your galleries, your animation, directing, you name it. Is there anything you'd like to leave out there for everybody? Yeah, I would just like to say uh, thank you for appreciating the art. And I've gotten you know so many friends online that have told me what my art meant to them that I wouldn't have known before. And it's inspired them. And to feel like I can inspire somebody with what I'm creating is the greatest reward because I was certainly inspired by all the great Disney artists of, of the, the 30s and 40s and 50s. And I, I love the idea that what I've created has, has in any way touch people and, and, and elevated them to a point of actually uh, wanting to get into animation and, and cartooning and character design and concepts, visual design and all that. Um, so I, I hope I can continue to keep, you know, pushing boundaries. Our I, I production design, Wreck-It Ralph, and, and to go into new, fresh territory and uh, to, to keep keep the flame, keep the torch going. So, um Keep keep watching us at Disney. We're we're each each film. Uh, if you only knew the five films that I know we're working on right now that are coming out one right after the other, every year a new one, and uh, we, we keep pushing it to try to uh, improve and and give new experiences, but with that same Disney flavor, that same Disney feeling you get of something deep down decent and wholesome and and inspirational and uh, you know. Uh, uh, 
it just evokes kind of the purity and goodness of childhood that that we all carry with us our whole life that that maybe our disney films just fire up again a little bit that 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 feeling of being a child again and the ex, the uh, experience of what you do with your with your uh, watching a movie with a kid is such a great thing that you'll you'll, you'll keep carrying with you your whole life so all i can say is thanks thank you for uh, for for paying attention and for going to the films and i'm so glad you got your money's worth and you enjoyed it because <laughs> um, we we certainly are trying really hard to to live up to the Disney legacy and the Disney high bar of of quality animated films and uh, with leadership like John Lasseter and Ed Catmull and the great directors we have here now you know I just feel so blessed to be here still to to be a part of it and uh, I'm working on one now that's coming out in 2018 and uh, it's going to be good it's going to be special it's a fairy tale it's going to be a musical it's uh and to know i'm still in that game you know doing this stuff is just uh it's too good to be true so thanks for uh thanks for inter- being entertained by it because if 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 people weren't out there interested we, we would i wouldn't be able to do this and we wouldn't be able to uh, keep the ball rolling for good old Walt i could i don't think you could have wrapped it up any better than that and you know of course touching so many people's lives well i want to thank you once again for stopping in with us chatting with us about so many different things about your career the future and of course you know the fearless art of mike gabriel that's going on right now at center stage gallery in burbank california you can check them out at centerstagegallery.com and it was our pleasure having you stop in mike and uh i foresee hopefully we can touch base again in the future and talk about some more things you've done and possibly some more galleries yeah absolutely that sounds good jonathan i certainly enjoyed it and you can always check out my work on mikegabrielart.com too you'll see some more stuff and my blog has you know stories about some of the legendary people i've worked with and all that so uh, thank you for inviting me I, I love being a part of it from your old voice actor pal, Corey Burton. (laughs) And you're listening to Disney On Demand. Wingapo, D-heads. Paige here with an all-new Magical Music Review. I am thrilled by our guest this week. Jonathan has Mike Gabriel in the studio, and Mystery Gabriel's Disney resume is most impressive. But the project I'm most excited to cover is his joint directing role with animator Eric Goldberg. In 1995, this film had its world premiere in Central Park to a crowd of over 100,000, and is considered to be the largest premiere in history. Released in theaters on June 23, 1995, Walt Disney Pictures' 33rd animated classic, Pocahontas, has been my favorite film for as long as I can remember. The songs for the film were written by Broadway composer and songwriter Stephen Schwartz and Broadway and film composer and songwriter Alan Menken. Mr. Menken also composed the score to accompany the picture. 
winning the Academy Award for Best Score and the Academy Award, the Golden Globe, and a Grammy for Best Original Song for the film's anthem, which we'll get to in a bit, the soundtrack holds a high place in the Disney Music Library. And now that I've talked your ears off, I told you this was my favorite, didn't I? Let us set sail on the Susan Constant to Jamestown, Virginia, and dive headfirst into the music of Pocahontas. Here we are on the docks in London. The year is 1607, and we have found ourselves in the presence of the Virginia Company, which coincidentally is also the name of our first song. The song opens the film with drum roll on snare. Some trivia as a side note, while Mr. Gabriel is the creator of the current castle title card for Walt Disney Pictures, Pocahontas is one of the few films that has never been re-released without the original castle. The Virginia Company is sung by a great all-male choir, which is accompanied by flutes, violins, brass, and, as mentioned before, snares. The two verses are broken up by drum rolls. For the majority of the piece, the tempo is constant. In the last measures of the song, though, there is a very noticeable rollentando. And now, on to the music. mentioned a song with many accolades, a song that has been called the film's anthem. What I refer to is Colors of the Wind. According to Mr. Mencken, this song was the first piece of music written for the film. It served as the inspiration for the rest of the score and was an influence on the theme for the film's script. To pull on the bando in me a little bit and be analytical, the first two notes of the melody span a musical interval of a major sixth, and overall, the melody reaches the eleventh. Along with the typical orchestra and the instrumentation, the Native American flute is also found, which is in a different key than the typical flute found in your band room. The song is sung by Judy Kuhn, the singing voice of Pocahontas in the film, and Vanessa Williams during the credits, and has had many covers by different Disney Channel stars, Broadway stars, and has been recorded in different languages. Okay, enough from me, and enjoy this powerful song. savage and you've been so many places I guess it must be so but still I cannot see 
If the savage one is me, how can there be so much that you don't know? You don't know. You think you own whatever land you land on. The earth is just a dead thing you can claim, but I know every rock and tree and creature has a life, has a spirit, has a name. You think the only people who are people are the people who look and think like you, but if you walk the footsteps of a stranger. You'll learn things you never knew. You never knew. Have you ever heard the wolf cry to the blue corn moon, or ask the grinning bobcat why he grinned? Can you sing with all the voices of the mountain? Can you paint with all the colors of the wind? Can you paint with all the colors of the wind? Many of you know at this point that Alan Menken is my favorite composer. A few years ago, I was tasked to choose my favorite piece to analyze, so disclaimer, I'm about to go full-on bando here. It comes at the end of the film and is entitled Farewell. The construction of the piece and other areas of the score are similar to other Menken scores in the sense that a unique melody appears to symbolize certain characters. In the case of Pocahontas and John at the end of the film, the melody of the deleted song If I Never Knew You makes an appearance. The tempo through most of the performance is adagio, meaning it's not too fast and it's not too slow. When the crescendo arrives leading to the end of the piece, there is a slight accelerando which helps in drawing the piece to a close. 
Overall, the piece is very legato, with added accents at the final measures. Woodwinds are featured prominently throughout the piece, with low brass playing in the background. By the end, high brass, violins, and percussion have also made their presence known. The piece also has a choir that joins in at the climax, which brings it to a strong end. my time for this week is up. I hope you've enjoyed this week's Magical Music Review. I'll be back with another look into my Disney Music Library next time. If you have any music questions, comments, or suggestions, or know any interesting Disney trivia, let me know at page at disradio.com. That's P-A-I-G-E at disradio.com. Or you can connect with me on our D-Wire discussion group on Facebook. Have a magical rest of your week, everyone. And until next time, D-Heads, see ya!
Taking aim, taking chances, and taking off on the biggest adventure ever. I haven't had this much excitement in 200 years. Don't miss the fun of the movie event of the year. Pocahontas Rated G. Starts Friday, June 20th. Hi again, D-Heads. Welcome to another installment of This Week in Disney History. I am Nathan, ready to take you through another segment's worth of historical Disney facts and potential trivia. As always, let's begin. Starting out this week in Disney history, we begin in 1904, when actor Fred Shields, the narrator of Disney's 1942 Saludos Amigos and 1944's The Three Caballeros, is born in Kansas City, Missouri. Also, as the voice of Bambi's father, the great prince of the forest, in Disney's 1942 Bambi, he also narrated such goofy shorts as How to Play Golf and How to Play Basketball. Sorry, baseball. In 1908, Disney writer and director Ralph Wright, the gloomy voice of lovable Eeyore in such classics as Winnie the Pooh and the Honey Tree, is born in Grants Pass, Oregon. In 1946, the National Council of the Boy Scouts of America awards Walt Disney and eight other recipients the prestigious Silver Buffalo during a ceremony in St. Louis, Missouri. The Silver Buffalo, Scouting's highest commendation, is awarded annually for distinguished service to boyhood. In 1950, Disney legend Howard Ashman, playwright, producer, and award-winning lyricist, is born in Baltimore, Maryland. You may recognize Ashman as one of the soundtracks of your childhood if you're around my age, as he has an insanely admirable life and career, and ultimately topping it off with becoming a Disney legend in 2001. His best-known works come from such items as Little Shop of Horrors, Oliver and Company, The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin. Moving on to 1955, actor Bill Paxton, the director of Disney's 2005 The Greatest Game Ever Played, is born in Fort Worth, Texas. Paxton has appeared in such films as Aliens, Apollo 13, Twister, Titanic, and True Lies. In 1958, Tony Award-nominated singer and actress Judy Kuhn, the singing voice of Pocahontas in Pocahontas and Pocahontas 2 Journey to a New World, is born in New York City. Moving on to 1960, Disney's Pollyanna, starring Haley Mills, Jane Wyman, Carl Malden, Richard Egan, and Nancy Olson, and based on the novel by Eleanor H. Portera, is released. And also in 1960, actor Tony Goldwyn, the voice of Tarzan for Disney's Tarzan and Tarzan Untamed, is born in Los Angeles, California. In 1962, actor Nathaniel Parker, who portrayed Master Gracie in Disney's 2003 The Haunted Mansion, is born in London, England. In 1963, Walt Disney visits St. Louis to tour the Gateway Arch area, which has been under construction since February. He discusses the proposed Riverfront Square with James P. Hickok, president of the Civic Center Redevelopment Corporation, and Disney has been invited to participate in the development of the Missouri tourist attraction and is considering St. Louis as a location for his next quote-unquote Disneyland. 
Ironically, currently right now, since I live near St. Louis, our St. Louis art grounds are under construction again, making way for a bigger park area and to make festivals a lot easier to navigate for like 4th of July celebrations we have and the such. And I kind of got a little nostalgic and thinking, how great would it be for everybody in my area around St. Louis, you know, and in America here to have a, like Disney fly up here and announce a new park in St. Louis. I would probably flip my lid. (laughs) In 1968, Walt Disney Travel Company is incorporated in Florida. The company will work with travel agents and individuals planning vacations to the yet-to-be-opened Walt Disney World Resort, and the service itself will also be transferred and expanded to California four years later for Disneyland. In 1971, Davy Crockett's Explorer Canoes debuted in Disneyland, a free-floating gas-powered canoe experience that had originally opened as Indian War Canoes in 56, and inspired by Davy Crockett Disneyland's television shows. The park guides wear coonskin caps. In 1986, actor Eric Lloyd, who played Charlie Calvin in all three of Disney's Santa Claus features, was born in Glendale, California. You may also recognize him as he supplied voices for Blanky in the 1998 The Little Toaster Goes to Mars and the 1997 The Brave Little Toaster to the Rescue. In 1991, Disney's Port Orleans Resort French Quarter, a recreation of the streets and row houses of New Orleans French Quarter, opens at Walt Disney World. The downtown Disney area resort offers 432 guest rooms spread across three buildings. The room count will increase to 1,008 when construction on the remaining four buildings is completed for a total of seven. In 1993, the hit TV series Full House goes to Disney World in part two of The House Meets the Mouse. In 1994, Disney's Aladdin The Return of Jafar, the sequel to Aladdin, is released direct-to-video. In 1998, The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars, a film not created by Disney but released by Walt Disney Home Video, is released. And also in 98, the new Disneyland Tomorrowland is unveiled after being given an extreme facelift. And in 2000, the Field Museum in Chicago unveiled Sue, the largest, most complete, and best preserved Tyrannosaurus Rex fossil yet discovered. A replica of Sue stands in Disney's Animal Kingdom, and you can visit her on your travels to the Dino Institute in Dinoland, USA. The dinosaur is named after Sue Henriksen, an American paleontologist who, along with her team in August of 1990, discovered the bones of this T-Rex in South Dakota. In 2003, Disney Pixar's Finding Nemo premiered in Hollywood, California. And we finish out this week in Disney history D-heads with 2005, when voice actor, singer, and Disney legend Thurl Ravencroft passing away at age 91 in Fullerton, California. His career and worksheet is vast, and he's best known as the voice of Kellogg's Tony the Tiger. Ravenscroft's numerous Disney credits include 101 Dalmatians, Alice in Wonderland, The Aristocats, and Cinderella. And he can also be heard in such Disney theme park attractions as Pirates of the Caribbean, The Haunted Mansion, and Country Bear Jamboree. Ravenscroft was also a member of the Mellow Men, which was a singing group who worked for Walt Disney in films, television, and on records. And it is also his deep voice you hear singing You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch for the holiday TV classic, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Well, D-Heads, that's all again for this week in Disney history. Hope you enjoyed, as always, and learned something new that you maybe didn't know. Have a great week, and see you real soon. Finding all the light bones, none of them smaller. Tibia and femur 
much to those magical journeys from your lifetime of Disney. See? Wow! It's Disney On Demand! Dibs! Here's your host, Jonathan Johnson. Okay, I'm convinced. And a little disgusted. All right, LVD heads, so I am back, and I hope you enjoyed this week's show. All kinds of fun, and I want to extend a very special thank you to Mike Gabriel once again for stopping in here at the show. Fantastic stories, great art galleries, so many different classics that have played a part in so many people's lives and those that I'm even passing down to my children now. Thank you once again for stopping in, chatting with all of us, and I am looking forward to getting my hands on some of those pieces in your art gallery, possibly one day. Thank you, Mike, once again for stopping in and chatting with all of us. I'd also like to thank the D team of Aaron, Caitlin, Nathan, Paige, and Jason, all for stopping in here this week with their signature segments. Without the D team, you'd have to listen to me ramble in week in and week out. So definitely thank you, D team, and remember to connect up with the D team on our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z-Radio.com. Connect up with them. They do not bite. And most of all, thank you, the D-Heads. You are the reason we continue to do this show for the last five years. You are the reason that we continue to bring this magic memories, your lifetime of Disney to you every single week. You are the reason that we continue to bring these to you for the last five years. So thank all of you, the D-Heads, for tuning in, sharing the show, and spreading that Disney love. Now, we do have a very special guest that's stopping in here next week here at the show. But before I do that, I do want to give you all the different ways you can stay connected here at the show. And first and foremost, you can always visit our official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio.com. There you can find our full list of past shows, the complete archives, our latest news blogs, our Lifetime of Disney Player, and more right there on the official website at DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio. You can also connect up with us all over the social media outlets on Facebook at facebook.com slash Disney On Demand. You can friend us on Facebook 
at facebook.com slash John Diz. That's J-O-N-D-I-Z. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and more. Just search Disney Blue, that's B-L-U, or Diz Radio, D-I-Z Radio. And remember, you can always subscribe to the latest shows right there on iTunes and Stitcher Radio just by searching Disney On Demand, Disney Blue, or Diz Radio. All three will find their way to us. So definitely subscribe and get the latest shows right there in your mobile device, your Android, and more. So, all you D-heads, with that said, everything out of the way, it has been a fantastic, fun show. And next week, we have a guest that towers over you all. This is somebody that can be frightening, he can be funny, and he can also be a pirate. We have none other than this stuntman, an actor, and a comedian, Derek Mears, stopping in here at the show. And Derek has been a part of a variety of different things. For some of you horror fans, he was the latest Jason in the Friday the 13th franchise. And for all of you Disney fans, he was in a variety of Disney's Pirates of the Caribbean and many other things, Haunted Mansion, and so much more. And Derek is going to stop in and talk about his stand-up comedy, working on Pirates of the Caribbean, just what is Johnny Depp like, and many other goodies, including... What's it like having his own action figures? So all VD heads, get ready as Derek is going to be stopping in here at the show next week. So all VD heads, with that said, is Memorial Weekend, three-day weekend for most. Remember, though, it is not just about having a three-day weekend. It is about bowing your heads and remembering all those who have fallen so that we could be free here in the United States. So remember that this weekend, all VD heads, bow your heads, show that moment, and as I always say, never neglect family for business. Until next week, all of you D-Eds, I'll catch you online and have a fantastic weekend.
feeling that our hearts just take wings. We could live a world of dreams. Together we would sail against the wind. And now I know where to begin. How to find it all again. From now until forever. Remember the time. Remember. Thank you for tuning in to Disney Blues, Disney On Demand. The content and thoughts expressed are those of the show and not the Disney company. Now go on and relive the magic, memories, and appreciation from your lifetime of Disney. See you real soon.